Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters here on Sharper Iron the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans, by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, January 11th, we are studying John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Although John the Baptist may seem to be the main character in today's text, he certainly doesn't seem all that interested in talking about himself. He would much rather point you to the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Isaac Schuler. Pastor Schuler serves at First Emmanuel Lutheran Church in San Jose, California, one congregation worshiping both in English and in Spanish. Pastor Schuler, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you for having me back, pa- Pastor Apple. So, Pastor Schuler, you do you preach in both Spanish and English on on every Sunday morning? Or I, I try, yes. Okay, awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's God be praised. We have English service, English Bible study, and then Spanish service, Spanish Bible study, and blessed to be able to lead all of that. Fantastic. That's wonderful. God, God be praised for your faithful work there in San Jose, both in Spanish and in English. We're going to stick primarily with English today, Pastor Schuler, at least for my sake, because uh, I don't know how well I would do in Spanish. So let's talk a little bit about the Gospel of John. We've, we've come through the prologue so far. Uh, what should we know about anything that John has written so far and anything else, any other context that would be helpful as we look at this section of John 1 today? I think like you started off saying that even though the section that we're going to study talks a lot about John, that it's really not about him, that it's about Christ. And at the beginning, uh, the prologue, like you mentioned, it just lays everything out about who the Christ is and that John really is is a voice, one that is um, bearing witness to who Jesus is and what Jesus will do. Hmm. Right. So this is now where the action of John's gospel gets started in verses 1 to 18. John the Apostle, he writes quite a bit about Jesus as the Word of God, as the light who comes into the world, and what that means for us, that this Word of God has become flesh and now dwells among us so that we see the glory of God. And in that prologue, he has introduced to us this man sent from God whose name is John, who has come to bear witness about the light. And now in today's text, we meet this John, and we hear that testimony that he gives. We we begin to see what you might think of as the action of the gospel. So we are picking up the text here in John 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. 
Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. I'll pause there. That takes us through verse 28 of the text. So we we first meet John, and the apostle, the writer of the gospel, says this is the testimony of John, and he introduces this testimony in the context of some people coming to find out more about who this John is out there in the wilderness. Who Who is this group of people, the Jews who sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem? Who is this that's coming out to, to ask more about John? So one before I answer that question, one thing that I, I think for where I'm serving that is, is relevant is when he uses the language of testimony of John, I think that word uh, in many Christian circles can be uh, misunderstood. Uh, one way that it could be translated to is this is the witness of John. Um, so mm-hmm. simply describing um, what took place in the life of John. And so to your specific question is who are these Jews? Uh, if you look later on in verse 24, it says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So we understand that uh, this group of priests and Levites are sent by the Pharisees. So the Pharisees being a religious sect, uh, very important perhaps in their eyes and very popular, and they are sending these priests and Levites. And we understand that priests are descended from Aaron. Uh, they're ordained to serve in the tabernacle in the temple, and they actually oversee uh, the Levites. The Levites are descendants uh, from the pa- patriarch Levi, and um, they also serve in the temple. And so it, I don't know the timeline, but in the other gospels or in the synoptic gospels, uh, John sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he states, you know, you brood of vipers who warned you um, to flee from the coming wrath. Uh, and I don't know, again, the timeline, if this is taking place after what John had already said, or if this is taking place before, but it does seem like the Pharisees are, uh, sending the Levites and the priests to kind of scope out what is what John is doing. Again, not sure if this is before or after John has called them a brood of vipers. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, you can't really tell from John 1, and then you don't have the exact same dialogue recorded in the synoptics to, to precisely order them. But I, I think the, the point is well made that these are the, the folks that you would expect to come out asking more about John, the priests, the Levites being sent by the Pharisees, as we find out. These are the the folks that would be concerned about a new preacher who shows up preaching in the wilderness and would want to know more about him. And so they they go out to him wanting to find out who he is. And and that's where the conversation ensues. I, I'm glad you you stopped and, and talked a little bit about that that opening line there in, in verse 19, this is the testimony of John. And you, you mentioned it as a witness, which connects us back to the way the prologue introduced John to us, that he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He wasn't the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And I, I think it's it's an important point that you make to distinguish it from the way that, that sometimes the word uh, giving a testimony today, sometimes that might get misunderstood and not really used the way that that it's described here, when John gives testimony here, he well, as we see, he's not talking about himself. He's talking completely about Jesus 
Whereas sometimes, as it exists in some Christian circles, to give your testimony ends up talking a lot more about yourself and your own life and maybe less about Christ. John John's not doing that. His testimony is purely about, about who Jesus is. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I wanted to make that clarification, because I think many times we can make Christianity about meanity as opposed to Christ. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, and John, John doesn't make that mistake by any means. His testimony is very much centered on Jesus as we see in this text. And as, as the text will continue, we'll continue to see that. So the, the question that comes from the Levites and the priests from Jerusalem to John is, who are you? And as then John, the apostle narrates it, he says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed I am not the Christ. So let's, before we talk about John's confession, I am not the Christ, just talk about what that means that John confessed and did not deny, but confessed. Yeah, he, he makes the good confession. You know, as, as a Christian, um, when we are asked, you know, who we specifically are, uh, we give glory to God for what he has done for us and to us. I mean, John is definitely special in the sense that he has received the Holy Spirit uh, since he was in his mother's womb, and he does have a special office in the sense that he is the forerunner of the Christ. Um, yet he is he's very humble uh, and wanting the focus and knowing that the focus is, is not about him. And so you see that come out very clearly as when he answers these questions, these, these three um, offices, I guess, if you may, that are asked of him. Are you, are you this? Are you that? And he responds with no, which I, I think later on when we get into it, it might cause a little bit of confusion. You might, mm. It might seem like John is denying who he actually is, but we'll, we'll talk about that. That's right. So, okay. So he confesses, he does not deny, but confesses. He speaks the truth. That's, I mean, that's part of giving his the testimony is to speak the truth, which we know from earlier, this is, John is the one sent from God. And so as he confesses here, he's going to speak the truth that comes from God. And it, it, it's always struck me about this passage that as he is asked the question, who are you? He starts by saying who he isn't. And, he, and the first thing he said, or the first one, the first office he says, he is not the Christ. So, so talk about this confession of John first, that he's not the Christ. Right. So he's not, he's not the anointed one. He's not the Messiah, which they would have been waiting. Um, just to, I mean, just as we're waiting for Christ's second advent um, to take place, they're waiting for the Messiah's first advent to take place. Yet they themselves, uh, the priests, the Levites, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they understand that there is going to be a forerunner. Um, there is going to be Elijah uh, that comes uh, before the Christ comes. Yet when John the Baptist says, I am not the Christ, he is making it very clear uh, that he is not the one that people are to look to uh, for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins. But there is one who will come, and he is preparing them for that one so that they are ready uh, to receive him. Hmm. Okay, so John is not the Christ. He is not the anointed one. I appreciate you you translating that for us, because so often we we use Christ as as the name Jesus Christ. And, and I mean, you know, that that's fine to refer to our Lord in that way, but to, to take it as it truly 
would have been for the the readers of John's gospel, especially that Jesus is the the Christ. He's the anointed one of God, the one set aside for the particular purpose of being the savior. And so John very clearly says, I am not the Christ. I'm not the anointed one, the Messiah. So then they ask him, well, okay, we haven't gotten our answer yet. We want to know who you are. So what then? Are you Elijah? And John again answers in the negative, I am not. And maybe this is, you, you were talking earlier, Pastor Schuler, where uh, there's parts of this conversation where uh, is John missing something here? Because you know, we know from elsewhere that Jesus identifies John as the Elijah who was to come. So uh, give us some clarification as to what's being asked and how John understands it when he answers. Absolutely. So I have written here in my notes, um, John chapter 5, uh, and it reads, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you have never heard his word, for it does not abide in you, and you do not believe in the one who you have sent. You search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life, and this is they that bear witness about me. Actually, I just read the wrong verse, but that that, that is a... <laughs> That is a, a good verse. Um, sorry, let me skip down a little bit here. So this is from Malachi 4.5. So presuming that this is what the Pharisees, uh, the priests, and the Levites would have had in their mind when they're asking, if you're not the Christ, then are you Elijah? So it reads, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and to the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And we know that this prophecy um, is fulfilled um, in Luke chapter 1 when the angel speaks to Zechariah and he says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So when I heard this, I'm thinking, well, does John then not know who he is or, or is he lying? And we would say no to both of those things. Uh, right. Because... The scriptures very clearly later on when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, as they're coming down, Jesus says, and as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they pleased, so also the Son of Man will be certain, certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So using all these texts, we understand according to Luke that John the Baptist comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And then Jesus spe specifically says that Elijah has come and that it was John. And I would simply say that when John says that he is not Elijah, uh, that it, it comes back to him again, not wanting to point to himself, but wanting to mm -hmm. point to the Christ. If you look at the life of Elijah, the prophet in the Old Testament, uh, very similar. 
He's going through a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, um, yet he continues to testify uh, to who Yahweh is and that Yahweh is faithful um, to his people. And so here, John is not lying. He does understand who he is, um, but he is wanting to glorify um, the Christ. And perhaps he's also helping clarify a misunderstanding that they might have had that Elijah will physically um, come and appear because Elijah did not die. Elijah was taken up into heaven by God. And so perhaps they're thinking, or in John responding to their answer, he's stating, you know, I am not physically Elijah, though I have come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And in that sense, I am the Elijah that is spoken about in Malachi. Hmm. Right. Uh, Dr. Dr. Weinrich, in his commentary on this, this matter, I think gives a, a helpful comment. And, and he says, he says this, I'll, I'll try to summarize some, some quote, summarize some summarize behind the denials of John that he has any special eschatological role is the fact that John had already seen the spirit descend and remain upon Jesus. And then he continues with the revelation that the son of God had appeared, all eschatological eschatological significance is to be ascribed to Jesus alone. Any significance to John as Elijah is simply excluded. So it's not that that John would say disagree with what Jesus speaks about him later, or that John is unaware of, of the role that he plays or of even of what Malachi says, but rather in the moment, and, and particularly in the way that, that John the Apostle is recording it for us, that, that John the Baptist is is simply not interested in the role that he plays now that the end times are here, other than being a voice, as we will see. Uh, John John wants to put your attention squarely on Jesus. And so, yeah, if there are you know some of maybe a, a misconception out there concerning about Elijah coming back in a, a very physical way, uh, John doesn't want any part of that. And he his attention is so much to point you to the Lamb of God that he's he he just doesn't this is a question that he's he's kind of passing by it's not a denial of the truth but rather a focusing on on the greater truth which is the fact that the son of god's standing right here among you and you need to know who he is a lot more than you need to know who i am that i think is the the force that's going on here yeah absolutely he's he's a very he's a good lutheran right wanting to focus right on christ that's right. That's right. So John is, is focusing on Christ, who that's he is not the Christ. He's already confessed and, and has not denied, but said, I'm not the Christ. They came and asked, are you Elijah? Again, probably tied to that prophecy from Malachi 4 that you read for us. John says, no, he's, he, he's not putting attention on himself here. And then the question comes, are you the prophet? Here's the third question. And now John answers, no. What's the question? Are you the prophet? What do they have in mind when they ask him that? So perhaps... Probably it's Deuteronomy 18, um, where God is speaking to Moses and promising that that another prophet will come. And Peter reiterates this um, in the book of Acts, and he says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And then here's the quotation from Deuteronomy 18. Moses said, 
The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So when the priests and the Levites ask, are you the prophet? Presuming that it would have been taught among them that a, a prophet would arrive, um, that is described in Deuteronomy 18. And I, the people seem to think so and in John chapter 6, when it says, when the people saw the sign that he did, speaking of Jesus, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Yet, just as John stated, he's not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor is he the prophet, but he simply states that he's a voice uh, preparing the way for the Lord, for the Christ. Hmm. Okay, so the, the prophet, that's a reference to Deuteronomy 18. And you, dear listener of Sharper Iron, you might recall it, when we studied Deuteronomy it, in la the in last calendar year, that we, we talked about this text from Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, which is, as you mentioned, Pastor Schuller is quoted there by Peter in the book of Acts. This is one of the most significant texts from the book of Deuteronomy. And this is very clearly referring to Jesus, uh, particularly that identification can be seen uh, by what St. Peter says in Acts chapter 3, and then within the Gospels at the Mount of Transfiguration, where the Father identifies Jesus as his beloved Son and then adds, listen to him. This is what Moses commands the people in Deuteronomy 18, that, that the one who is the prophet like Moses from among your brothers, you need to listen to him. And so that is the, the question that's being asked, are you the prophet? And John very clearly says, no. Just looking at the three answers that John has given so far, you know, I am not the Christ. And then uh, he says to, to Elijah, I am not. And then here he just says, no. I mean, each time the answer gets shorter. And I don't know, I'm trying to picture John here, maybe a little maybe a little bit of annoyance on his face. You, know, you guys keep asking me the wrong question. You keep wanting to talk about me. I want to talk about someone else. But finally, at the end, you know, when they say, well, what do you say about yourself? You know, he, he does identify himself as the voice. But again, you know, he really doesn't want to talk about himself. He wants to talk about Jesus. So, so talk about John's answer to their question. What do you say about yourself? He calls himself a voice. He identifies this coming from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, tell us about this quote from Isaiah and how it applies to John. Uh, really quickly, uh, you made you know reference to the Mount of Transfiguration, and you know as you were speaking of that reference, I think it's quite beautiful how these three questions that are asked, the Christ, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? That you see that on the Mount of Transfiguration, hmm. that, right? You see yeah. the very Christ. You also see Elijah. Um, and then he speaks about Elijah or John coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. And then also, as you stated, um, this is my beloved son, whom I well pleased. Listen to him, that he is, he is the prophet. So quite, quite profound just how the word of God works. Yeah. Yeah, especially, I mean, and just, you know, John's gospel will not have the transfiguration as a narrative within it, and yet you you see the parallels here in chapter one to the things that are that are there in the transfiguration narrative. So, that, yeah, that's that's a good a good point, Pastor Schuller. Uh, take us into to the answer of verse 23, the quotation from Isaiah that John gives. Sure, let me reread it. Uh, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight uh, the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So we know that that John is is not uh, in Jerusalem, um, but he's he's out in the wilderness. Here it says that he's uh, at Bethany across the Jordan, uh, which 
I think most scholars would state that it's not the same Bethany that is near Jerusalem, but it's a, a Bethany that is, is near the, the actual Jordan River. But, but the point when he says, make straight the way of the Lord, uh, when we look at the other gospels, we understand that as John is baptizing and as he's proclaiming the word of God, he is wanting people to live a life that is a life of repentance, meaning that uh, you're not trusting in yourselves, just as his testimony, his witness is not focusing on him, but it's focusing on, on things. Uh, it's focusing on Jesus who, who brings his righteousness, his mercy towards him in order to, to make the valleys low, in order to make the life straight, in order to, um, instead of taking, taking you from being on the wide path to being on the straight and narrow, um, so that there is salvation in Jesus and in him alone. Hmm. So John identifies himself as this voice, the one who's out in the wilderness crying, make straight the way of the Lord. This comes from the prophet Isaiah. You know, it, just looking at this section as a whole, then John has said, he's not the Christ. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. You know, three personal figures or three offices, as you said, Rather, he is the voice, so that what what counts for John is what he says. You you need to listen to his preaching, which ties in very well to what we've learned about John already, particularly from the prologue where the Apostle John says that the Baptist comes as a witness, and then again in this section, as you said, the word testimony of John, the witness of John. What what really counts about John? For all of his his strange diet and strange clothing and you know the the fur that is attached to him, you, you kind of picture these crowds coming out to him. What really matters about him, it's his voice. It's what he says about Jesus, which is of course where John's gonna take us, that you need to listen to his his voice. I, it, in a certain respect, I, I guess as I, I'm thinking about this, it it reminds me a little bit of the at least the, I, the reason I think most pastors will, will often wear a clerical that, you know, my shirt's black. The only part that that's white is the part that goes over my voice, right? What you, what, what matters is what the pastor, what the preacher says, particularly about Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are, we are tainted um, with sin, but it is God who, who cleanses us and allows us to, who calls us, right? It's, um, I gave a sermon on this a couple of weeks ago that I myself didn't call myself to be a pastor, right? but the church, uh, the Holy Spirit, God called me to be a pastor. And so to um, John did not call himself to be a voice or a prophet um, in the wilderness, but it was God who did these things. And, and that's where the assurance is, right? Because we're not speaking on our own authority, uh, but we're simply speaking um, the words of God that he has given to us in, in his holy word. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. And and we know from from the gospel that John is the one sent by God to proclaim these things, to be that voice, to make straight the way of the Lord, which is what we're seeing him doing in this text. We need to take our break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're looking at John 1 with Pastor Isaac Schuler. We will be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, January 11th. We're studying John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34 with Pastor Isaac Schuler. He serves at First Emmanuel Lutheran Church in San Jose, California. Pastor Schuler, prior to the break, we, we talked about John's confession that he did not deny, but he confessed that he's not the Christ, not Elijah, not the prophet, but rather the voice, the one proclaimed by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah goes, or Isaiah says that John goes into wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. So this is the answer that John has given to the question, finally, who are you? And we know, as we talked about earlier, these priests and Levites sent from the Pharisees, they still want to keep talking about John and what he's doing. So they ask him, why are you baptizing? If you're not any of these things, if you're not these three offices, why are you baptizing? baptizing. And John gives an answer. Talk about the question and the answer that John gives surrounding his baptism. So the question that they ask, why are you baptizing? It seems that they're asking by whose authority uh, that you're baptizing, just like you talked about the offices, right? If you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, then who gives you this authority and this ability uh, to baptize? Uh, perhaps they're, they're thinking of, you know, the rituals, uh, the washings, like one example would be, I think it's an exodus with uh, the bronze bull where the priests and Aaron and his sons uh, would have to wash before enter, entering into the tent of meeting. Maybe they're coming and thinking, well, you, you can't do these things because you're, you're just an ordinary guy. So who has given you this authority um, to baptize? And when, when John answers, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who... Uh, do not know. We understand that John baptizes first and foremost because the Father has sent him to baptize. That he's not baptizing just because he he thinks that it's a good thing, um, but he's baptizing because the Father has sent him to baptize uh, and to prepare the way for the Lord, and also so that the Christ might be revealed to Israel, so that they might know who Jesus is when he is baptized. Right. So that's that's where John's answer takes takes him. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So I you know, I think when we think about the baptism of John and then as as well or John's baptizing and then when Jesus receives that baptism which will come up my mind often goes to the narratives that are recorded in the synoptic gospels Matthew Mark and Luke but but here we are going to talk about the baptism of Jesus and and as John's talking about what what he's doing baptizing 
you know, he's not talking about repentance, although again, you know, we know he does, but as John records it, the, the thing that's important about the baptism of John is that it's there to reveal Jesus because right now you don't know him, he says, but he's the one you need to know. And you need to know him because I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He's the one who's coming after me. Uh, the baptism of John here, it, it seems the main purpose is to reveal Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Where, and yeah. there's a clear distinction too, right? Between uh, John baptizing simply with water and then Jesus is baptizing with, with the Holy Spirit. Right, right, and and that that comes out especially in uh, the the synoptic gospels. But we should we should hold on to that here yeah. as we think about John's baptism and and now Jesus receiving it. So that takes us uh, through the first part of the text through verse twenty eight. As you mentioned, this is happening in Bethany across the Jordan. That's where John was baptizing. We've got more text to look at today. We begin to read again now in verse twenty nine. The next day, he that's John saw Jesus coming toward him and said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That's the rest of our text for today. That's John 1, verses 29 to 34. Pastor Schuler, verse 29 of John chapter 1 is probably one of the most famous verses in the Gospel of John, at least for us as Lutherans, where John looks at Jesus and I guess it doesn't officially say that he points, but I, I've always pictured John pointing here. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Tell us about this confession of John concerning Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Before doing that, I, I realized that I skipped over one uh, small point that I wanted to make with uh, 26 and 27 about John not being uh, worthy to untie uh, Jesus' sandals. I think this just reiterates all the more John not wanting to be focused on himself, that he's stating that mm. I am not even worthy to call myself a servant or a slave um, to do these things for the Lord, uh, that I basically um, am nothing, that I, I must decrease so that he must increase. Yeah, that's that's very helpful, Pastor Schuler. Tell us about the, the Lamb of God. Who takes Absolutely. Us yeah, I mean, it, it's very important to us because, uh, you know, we sing it, right? Oh, oh, Christ, the Lamb of God, who takest away the sin of the world. We understand that from right before the Lord's Supper, right in the Agnes Day, which is the Latin for the Lamb of God. Uh, we understand also, uh, we should think of the Old Testament right from Leviticus, what is it, 16, uh, verses 21 through 22, where it says, And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put on them on the head he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So this would the people would have this on their mind. They would understand uh, the scapegoat, though it's not a lamb. Uh, they would understand that 
Jesus or that the scapegoat, scapegoat bore the sins of the people and went into the wilderness. Uh, and if you mm-hmm. look at Luke's account, right, Jesus is baptized. Uh, and then it, I think, gives a little bit of um, genealogy or I don't remember exactly what it is, but a little description of things. Uh, and then Jesus is ekbalot. He's cast out um, into the wilderness uh, to be tempted by the devil. And so just as a scapegoat, the sins were laid upon it, and then it went into the wilderness. Uh, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was baptized, uh, and then he was tempted in the wilderness um, for us. So when when John calls Jesus the Lamb of God, certainly one of the allusions that he, he wants his hearers to catch is that connection to the the day of atonement the scapegoat who carries the sins away this is what jesus does you know i mean and and i think there's any number of places in the old testament where we can talk about the role of of a lamb particularly in sacrifice just thinking through the rest of john's gospel when when john records the crucifixion of jesus and he, he notes afterward the fact that jesus bones weren't broken and this fulfills the scripture and he he brings up the the case of the passover lamb in the in the exodus when those bones were not broken like the the passover and the whole exodus event is probably another another part of this illusion that john wants you to catch that jesus is the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world absolutely and it's so beautiful because we don't take our own sins away, that it's it's Jesus who does it, and not not that we could anyways. Uh, also realizing that um, since Christ has died, he no longer has to die again. And so for this reason, we no longer have a scapegoat as they would have in the Old Testament, no longer have to bring uh, lambs to sacrifice on the altar because Jesus is the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, um, for all of our sins of all time, for the entire world. Hmm. Yeah, and and then as you mentioned, this is we we sing this regularly in our liturgy in the divine service, and we we sing it right before we receive the Lord's body and blood and holy communion, uh, not because He is being re-sacrificed there, as as you said, but rather because we are receiving the fruits of that sacrifice, His body and blood once sacrificed for all is now given and received by eating and drinking at his altar and so it is it is good and right that we would sing these words precisely before we we receive that body and blood as through that body and blood he does he takes our sins away he gives us the forgiveness uh, that he promises there in his word yes and and it's not just for well speaking of jesus dying right it's it's for the entire world yeah He's he's taken the sins of of the world um, away, and this is the whole right. object of justification here. That's right. No no limited atonement here. Right. Yeah, that's right. It, he takes away the sin of the world, and and just you know bringing that up too reminds me of the conversation I had yesterday with Pastor Ryan Agradowitz. We talked about the world in John, and just in the prologue, you know, John reminded us that Jesus, the Word, was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. We talked about the enmity of the world toward Jesus, and yet what does Jesus come to do? He comes to love the world, as we remember in John three sixteen, and here he comes to take the world's sin away. So even though we were enemies of God at that time, Jesus came to take away our sins, to die for us. You see, 
in this sentence here from John, the the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in, in what he's done for us. Amen. Yeah. So fantastic words, rightly, rightly loved among Lutherans and among all Christians that Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If, if, if you think of nothing else, when you think of John the Baptist, this sermon is the one you should think of, uh, because it is a, a wonderful confession of what Christ has done for us. Now, John does continue in his sermon. That's as much as we sing in our divine service, but John continues into verse 30 and he speaks more about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John says that this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. What What is John saying there in verse 30? I think that we can use this verse um, to teach the two divinities, or sorry, the two um, natures of Christ, mm. his humanity and his, his divinity. For when he states, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. So he clearly calls Christ um, a man um, because he was before me. Now, how, how is this even possible? Because John is older uh, than Jesus, right? John is, is six, six months older um, than Christ. One verse or section later on in John that comes to mind uh, is in John chapter 8, when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews embrace Jesus as the Messiah. Actually, no, they don't. They pick up stones and they want to, to murder him uh, because they know uh, what he is stating here. And so when, when John says these things, he very clearly is stating that this is the man who takes away the sins of the world. He ranks before me, uh, but the way that he is able to die for the sins of the world is because this is also God incarnate. Uh, don't just see him as one who dies as, as a regular man and that's it. But this is, this is God in the flesh, uh, as, as we heard uh, in the very beginning of, of John. That's right. The, the word was, has been made flesh and dwells among us. John confesses similarly here in verse 30. And again, just to, to reiterate, John identifies Jesus as a man. He is truly a human being. And according to his human nature, in fact, Jesus is six months younger than John. John is his, is his elder, you might even put it that way, as a man. And yet, John also recognizes that Christ is not only fully man, he is also fully God. And because of that, then he knows that Jesus ranks before him because, in fact, he did come before him. He is the eternal Son of God, now here in human flesh. And so, yeah, in, in this verse, this is a fantastic verse to, to quote in order to, to back up our confession that Jesus is fully God and fully man, two natures in one person. John continues in verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. This sounds like what we were talking about earlier, Pastor Schuler, where, where John identifies his baptism and its purpose uh, in order to reveal Jesus to Israel. It also makes me think of when John said, I'm not Elijah. And here he says, I myself did not know him, but how can this be? Because they're cousins, you know, presuming they probably would have known one another. I mean, at least they met in the womb. Yet, perhaps uh, the focus then is showing that he knew his cousin, um, yet 
he did not quite understand that this was the Messiah until the baptism took place because God the Father had revealed to John that these are the things that are going to take place. And when these things take place, this is who the Messiah is. When the, the dove descends the Holy Spirit um, and, and I speak, this is my son. And so when John says, I myself did not know him, uh, yes, he did know who, who Jesus was yet in the sense that he did not know him fully as to who he was as the Messiah because it would be revealed after he was baptized. And for this reason, I mean, he answers his own statement. Um, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptized with water, with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So in John or in Jesus' baptism, um, there's no doubt that when these things take place, this is um, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For, for this reason, um, it sounds like the, his baptism has already taken place. And he's just pointing and saying, this is, or I don't know if he pointed, but this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, and we know this because he was baptized and the witness that was given to me has been confirmed because this is what the Father told me would take place. Right. I, I think that the text does read as if Jesus' baptism by John has already taken place, and now this is oppor the opportunity for John to bear witness, as verse 32 says, and as we've heard all along, that John is here to give witness, to testify to Jesus. And, and so now in verses 32 through 34, we get the account of Jesus' baptism, which again, I, I think most Christians are, are most familiar with from the Synoptic Gospels, where you hear the narrative account of it. Here you hear John's account of it, again, for the purpose of identifying Jesus. So we're, we're talking about the baptism of Jesus here in verses 32 through 34. And before we look too closely at the, the text as it is here, you, you mentioned, Pastor Shuler, you wanted to talk a little bit about the why of Jesus' baptism, why Jesus had to be baptized and why Jesus was even baptized as an adult. You know, when, when we think about Christian baptism today, we're often thinking about the baptism of babies. So why does Jesus need to be baptized and, and why is he baptized as an adult? When it comes to Jesus baptism, you know, we use the synoptic gospels and, and we also use John. Um, Jesus states that um, this is fitting. We must do this to fulfill all righteousness. Um, so we understand that when Jesus was baptized, um, as we, as we sing in one of my favorite hymns, um, what is that? Oh, love how deep, All right? It goes, uh, mm -hmm. for us baptized for us, he bore his holy fast and hunger sore for us. Temptation sharp he knew for us, the tempter overthrew. So we understand that according to that hymn that he was baptized uh, for us, because when we look at when we look at baptism, I think many times we compare our baptism to Jesus' baptism, which is not a bad thing if we understand it correctly. Jesus was not baptized um, to receive the forgiveness of sins because he is sinless, but we are baptized um, to receive the forgiveness of sins because we are sinful. And so, when that question is asked, why was Jesus baptized? First and foremost. Uh, to fulfill all righteousness, that he he does all things well, that he has not come to abolish the law, um, but to fulfill the law. And then I think when it comes to the question of 
why was Jesus baptized uh, as an adult? I get this question asked so frequently, uh, not necessarily by members. Well, members do ask it, but it's because they were talking about infant baptism with someone or baptism uh, with someone. And they brought up, well, why was Jesus baptized as an adult? And there's many ways that you can approach this. I don't think we have enough time um, to answer or to give a good answer as to the ways that I would approach it. Uh, but first and foremost, I would say that it's a misunderstanding of what baptism is. Uh, the person thinks that first and foremost, I must choose God. I must have the cognitive, rational ability to choose God, and then um, I can be baptized. But again, it's this whole text is not about us. And so when we think about baptism, we shouldn't think that it's about us, but it's Jesus for us, giving us the forgiveness of sins. And there's a lot of practical matters too um, that go into why Jesus was not baptized um, as an infant. Uh, one would be John baptized uh, Jesus, but John is only six months older um, than Jesus. Right. And so an infant, I guess an infant could baptize an infant, but I, I don't see how that's possible. Um, <laughs> that's right. This is a logical um, way of approaching it. I think another thing too, that when we talk about uh, Jesus baptism, you know, some, some Lutherans don't necessarily agree with this, but in, in Jesus baptism, I think it's Luther that states this, that as he enters the water, it's as if he is uh, receiving the sins of all time. And so a spotless lamb is entering into the water and, and coming out um, one coming out a lamb that is dirty, a, la a, a lamb that now has the iniquities of the world. And we um, go into the waters filthy and dirty, um, yet because of Christ's baptism, as we exit, uh, we are now forgiven of our sins uh, because we are united in our baptism to the Lamb of God uh, who takes away the sin of the world. And one last point, like I said, we don't have enough time to talk about it, uh, but this point, yes, if why would you just stop at saying Jesus was an adult? Uh, we should be baptized as an adult. Jesus is a Jew. So do you have to be a Jew to be baptized? Can Gentiles therefore not be baptized? Jesus is a male. Does that mean that females can't be baptized? And I mean, there's so many things. That, well, one, one thing quickly too is when people don't want to baptize infants uh, because there's no scripture that states specifically, you know, an infant was baptized. Show me a scripture that says a five-year-old was baptized, a 10-year-old was baptized, a 15-year-old was baptized, or a 20-year-old was baptized. We don't have those texts. We don't know. I think Jesus is really the only one we know somewhat how old he is, but Lydia, we don't know. All, all those that were baptized, we don't know their ages. So in the end, I think it's, it's kind of a silly point um, to bring about. But nonetheless, Jesus was baptized. And it is a blessing. And we too are baptized. And the sooner the better, as the, the text says that we studied a while back in Acts chapter 2, that this promise yeah, is for good. you and for your children. Um, just to give right, our children yeah. all good gifts. Uh, we don't want to withhold God's gifts as the disciples did. They didn't want to let the little children come to them. But we want to take our children so that they might be blessed um, by the Lord, especially in baptism. 
That's right, that they might be blessed by the one who was baptized for them as the Lamb of God, taking away the sin of the world. And again, in John's gospel, the Jesus' baptism is going to identify him as this Lamb of God, and that's what John's going to bear witness to in, in verses 32 through 34, and to do so in a in very striking language. We've got about three minutes here, Pastor Schuler. Take us into John's testimony in verses 32 to 34 to wrap us up this morning. Okay, really quickly before I do that, I just want to read a quote from Luther. I think it's very helpful in this uh, distinction between uh, John's baptism and Jesus' baptism. This is from the American edition, 22, 177. He states, This is the difference between the baptism of Christ and that of John. John neither gives nor brings forgiveness of sin. He only points people to him who does bestow it. In John's baptism, forgiveness is promised. In Christ's baptism, it is given. Thus, John's baptism is no longer valid now. And so it's, I mean, it's very striking and, and strong language, uh, but this is why we can state boldly, there is, um, what is it? One faith, one baptism, one Lord. And so we are no longer baptized into John's baptism, but we are, are baptized into our Lord's baptism. Hmm. And so verses, what, 33? Um, 32 to 34, give us John's testimony there at the end. So he sees the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remains on him. Uh, and again, he uses his language of, I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize uh, with water said to me, and I keep saying the father, and the only reason I say that is because of deductive reason, uh, because the father states, you'll see the spirit descend, and he's talking about the son. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's, it's not possible that the Trinity could have told this to John, um, but just by process of elimination, it, it seems that it's the father who is speaking and delivering especially when he states, this is my beloved son. And so he says, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, so again, direct revelation to John um, as a prophet um, so that he can reiterate these things to the people. He on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So it's okay to say we're baptized by Jesus, even though it is the pastor who is baptizing, uh, we know that he is there by the stead and by the command of his Lord and Jesus, by the command of his Lord Jesus Christ. Same thing when the pastor preaches, just as John said, um, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The pastor is simply the voice of God proclaiming the good news um, to his people. And so it's a beautiful gospel because it's, it's God who's doing the work. Um, it's God who's giving the spirit. Uh, and we give thanks to God for what he does for his people. That's right. That's right. Pastor Isaac Schuler is pastor at First Emmanuel Lutheran Church in San Jose, California, helping us today to look at John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Pastor Schuler, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much for having me, Pastor Apple. It's been a pleasure. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about John chapter 1 or any of the gospel according to St. John, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.